1: Hi, this is The Kevin Bass Show. In this podcast, I'm going to be discussing the latest new trends, investigations, discoveries, and controversies in the fields of health, health science, nutrition, fitness, and medicine. I am both endlessly overjoyed by the discovery of new knowledge and incredibly happy to share it with you, but also relentlessly critical of anything that is unlikely to pan out or unlikely to be true or useful. Through this dynamic interplay, I make this podcast one of the most intellectually exciting and vibrant among any in this space. Both tremendously respected as well as reviled by other prominent health influencers and popular media icons, I draw upon my extensive network of scientists, influencers, thinkers, and thought leaders to bring to you a distilled version of what I believe is the proper take on the latest new ideas and trends in these fields. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to The Kevin Bass Show. A bit about my background and a disclaimer. I have a nearly 20 years either studying medical science or being in a laboratory conducting medical science. Nonetheless, I am only a MD-PhD student. I'm not yet a medical doctor, and even if I was, n- nothing that I'm discussing here would be medical advice, simply an interpretation of the medical literature by a person who reads voraciously and thinks incessantly about how to think about scientific problems and their practical application to health correspondingly you should only take this as such and always if you have an idea that you take from this podcast that you want to apply to your own life you should always talk to your doctor before doing so and never construe anything you hear as medical advice and with that enjoy the Kevin Bass show hey everybody this is Kevin the uh, way that I'm recording this is a little bit different than usual so bear with me hopefully it works out uh, this video, I'm going to talk about Dr. Paul Mason. He's a doctor in Australia. I'm going to debunk one of his book chapters that he wrote and also challenge him again to a discussion, a friendly and civil discussion, a discussion not based in, uh, controversy or debate. I'm not interested in having a debate with Paul or anybody else really. I just want to talk about his chapter and here's, here's the context. So, Paul says, unfortunately, Ethan Weiss is pulled out of the debate. So Ethan Weiss is a cardiologist or formerly a cardiologist at uh, UCSF, a professor at UCSF for for a few decades, uh, is my understanding, who, um, yeah, he was a scientist and a a physician who prescribes low-carb diets for his patients, who help people with low-carb diets, and who uh, has a company based on low-carb diets, or maybe has sold his company at this point. But ethan uh wanted to debate paul because paul released a uh an article with a bunch of other health influencers that was about why people don't need to take statins that's very over simple simplified that the what the article was about it's a little bit deeper than that but i want to oversimplify just for the purpose of this video because If I don't, we're going to go down a really long tangent on LDL cholesterol and statins and cardiovascular disease. And we don't have time for that right now. So what I'm going to do instead is talk about how, um, well, we're going to talk about this debate and we're going to debunk his book chapter. So he says... He felt it would be unproductive, given my request that he read our paper, that he admits to ridiculing so that we can address the points of science it contains. Ethan Weiss, please reach out if you change your mind. So, you know, Ethan backed out a debate, and I believe that Dr. Lipid, who's uh, Thomas Spring, a widely recognized expert on cardiovascular disease, lipid management, medical management of cardiovascular disease, also uh, criticized the paper, and also he didn't want to debate Paul either. Uh, I think basically the reason these men don't want to debate Paul is they don't have a lot of time. They're very busy. Uh, They have other things that they would rather do. I, too, am very busy. I, too, would rather be doing other things. But I got dragged into this partly because uh, I thought it was just wrong. I thought it was wrong the way that he framed this. I don't believe that uh, Ethan uh, finds that it would be unproductive to have a debate because he'd have to read the paper. I don't think that's the reason why Ethan... Said such a thing. I just think Ethan doesn't have the time, so he's just saying it's unpredictable. He just doesn't have time. He doesn't want to deal with this. Um, but I think it's worth addressing. So, one of the things I've been doing on my podcast is is uh, is is trying to have people with different opinions than mine, even people who I agree with, uh, I can question them. And we're going to have a podcast coming up soon with uh kevin falter who i agree with on on a lot of things probably much pretty much everything and i think he's a scientist in the same way that i'm a scientist but i'm gonna go uh we're gonna dig into the science with him and uh that's what i wanted to do with with uh with paul here because after i saw this i was like you know what i don't think this is the real reason ethan is rejecting this debate request i think the real reason is just ethan doesn't have time so why don't i sit down and talk with Paul. And I said, I would be glad to have a good faith discussion. So this is what I quote retweeted. I said, I would be glad to have a good faith discussion with you about the details and strengths and weaknesses of your paper on my podcast. Not a debate, but we can politely disagree. Send me a DM and we can set it up in the coming month or two. And he says, uh, let's, he didn't do a thread correctly. Um, trying to, trying to figure out how he replied to this. He says, uh, there's a few things i'd be interested to know where you stand on it kevin debating someone like ethan or thomas Spring would add value for the audience as they could evaluate the scientific underpinnings of both perspectives all ldl bad not all ldl bad if you disagree with the substance of the paper then that could be a useful discourse please review it first and see if you believe there have been any errors of science so far, so good. But then he makes a turn. He says, in the meantime, you have promised to review my academic paper, uh, chapter on nutrition and provide substantiation for your vitriolic criticisms. You claim hundreds of errors of science. To my knowledge, you, have, you yet to identify a single one. I would appreciate you doing this first. Okay. Uh, alternatively, if you have a change of heart and now believe this is academic chen- uh, chapter be scientifically accurate, you, set, 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 you should set the record straight and I replied to him i'm not interested in providing a comprehensive rebuttal of that chapter, but I can go over it with you on video I offered uh, I've offered several times now to go over it so Every time I engage with him, he brings up this these criticisms of this particular book chapter. And he uh, basically keeps me from engaging him in any way possible. This is the way I'm interpreting it. Um, for whatever reason, he – he, he uh, uh, in my opinion, it's because he's afraid to actually have a discussion on video with me. He's afraid to actually have a good faith discussion with me because he knows that um, it, he doesn't have necessarily have control whereas with me it's okay for me not to have control over a discussion because I don't care where it leads. I just want to you know find the truth. I just want to have a discussion and and uh, we'll see where it leads, you know. I'm interested, I'm curious and open, but I think he doesn't want to have a discussion. So every time I talk to him about anything, have a discussion about him with with him about anything, he always says, "Well, didn't you make this criticism of my book chapter? You should address that first. And he knows that I don't want to, uh, to address the book chapter because it's the, the number of criticisms I would have to make are it hundreds. And so, therefore, I don't, uh, I don't want to do it. But my friends, this is what I'm going to be doing in this particular video. I'm not going to be doing hundreds of criticism. We'll be taking on a few topics, uh, but then systematically showing how his uh, chapter does have hundreds of errors. But I said, I can go over it with you on video. I can make my case and you yours. As you recall, I, we agreed to this earlier, but our moderator fell through in the meaningless drama. We can do it right this time. So I'm being very optimistic. And he says, given that you claim it has hundreds of hours, and you have publicly committed to reviewing it, including harvesting many email addresses in the process. I haven't harvested any email addresses. I don't have any email addresses. Like they're somewhere, but I'm never going to use them uh, because that's not my MO. I don't make any money from this. So it's a weird thing that he writes that. Why do you not now not want to comprehensively review It's because your claim is a complete fabrication. If so, fess up. So he's being very confrontational here. And as I said in this particular YouTube video that I'm going to be doing in this podcast, I'm going to be comprehensively debunking his book chapter. So he's going to get what he has coming for him now. But uh, it's quite irritating because he's basically just like trying to avoid having a discussion and i said it would take an incredible amount of time for me to do that in writing which i don't have we can do a decent job on a one-on-one discussion if you have interest in that alternatively you can talk about it off record over zoom etc see so i'm i'm making the offer to talk to him live uh in private in private i wanted to talk to him in private about the book chapter but he won't talk to me about the book chapter instead he wants to constantly bring it up and use it to prevent me talking about anything else so he says why would it take an incredible amount of time because if, if as if as you claimed it is littered with hundreds of errors well because it's littered with hundreds of errors what's your uh, i this is something i'm not understanding he says should be like picking flowers in a meadow i frequently find mistakes in publications a minute later i've popped on twitter with a reference easy Okay. So I respond because explaining death to my satisfaction takes a lot of time. Fact checking with a very fine tooth comb and come to definite conclusions is very time consuming. Talk with me on the phone and I will show you or don't, my man. The difference in the way we fact checked is exactly at the heart of the issue I have with your chapter, by the way. And so this really gets at the heart of the problem with his book chapter and why it's not good and why it's littered with hundreds of errors. It's, um, it's a very, it's a look. And by the way, I want to again preface this one more time before I dig in and start being super honest and, and brutally blunt. Uh, and I, again, I don't want to do, and I, I want to say, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be doing this video. I don't want to do this video. It's not in my interest to argue with him. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy this sort of like weird uh, antagonism. I dislike it tremendously. I really dislike this, but um, he's saying things that are just not true. And so I'm going to go correct them. And if there's a back and forth about it, I'm probably just going to bail. I'm probably not going to respond or go or, or into detail. People who, who watch this video, who understand this video, who take the time to listen and understand what I'm saying, will see that I'm right. And the people who you know, just want to be right and they don't want to listen, they, they don't have to. So... The people who are important will understand, the people who are not important won't, right? The people who are intelligent will get it, the people who are not intelligent won't. And so it's okay either way, and I'm not gonna engage in a big, long, drawn out argument about this, but I am going to debunk his book chapter. And the basic problem with it is that he's very superficial in the way he uses his references. He basically doesn't think very deeply about his references. He doesn't think very deeply about how he could be wrong. And he selectively picks references selectively picks references and doesn't think very deeply about uh, what they mean or uh, how they put together in a specific story and, and, and how, how he might scientifically criticize his own story so as to make it stronger. I don't think he has a really strong grasp of how science works, namely Uh, the process of being impartial and trying to test one's own ideas to try to show that they're wrong. I don't think he does that. I think he has a particular perspective that he wants to push. He's not very well, um, informed about the scientific literature. He picks and chooses the reference that support his point of view, and he doesn't try to ask where he could be wrong, and because he doesn't try to ask where he could be wrong, he misses a massive amount of information that, uh, if he actually paid attention to it, would significantly make more complex his story, uh, to say the very, very least. Now, That is the problem with this chapter. The problem is is that he, whenever he fact-checks anything, it takes like five minutes to do it. With me, fact-checking something takes uh, a couple hours. Fact-checking three facts takes three hours for me. And I'm going to just fact-check a few facts here. We're not going to get to three hours, but we're going to get to a substantial period of time. And the way that we're actually going to fact-check this without fact-checking the whole thing and taking forever to do it, which again is very different from the way he does it, which is the whole problem with this chapter because he doesn't have a deep understanding of nutrition science because of his particular approach. The way I'm going to do it is I'm just going to go over the first page. In fact, it's just the first section on the first page, the introductory section on the first page. I'm just gonna systematically show, I'm gonna systematically show that it's misleading, inappropriate, filled and riddled with errors. And by showing that with the introductory section, uh, I assert, I claim that the entire rest of the book chapter is filled with these very same kinds of errors. Now, here's the thing with this particular podcast and this particular debunking. I'm extrapolating. I'm going to extrapolate from the first section of the chapter after I take it apart and dismantle it. And I'm going to say the whole rest of the book is the same way. Okay, now, after I do that, I'm going to then give this to, to Paul and he can do with what he wants. If he says that the whole rest of the book isn't as bad as the first introduction of the book, then um, then we're good. Like, then I, I'm going to do the next section, right? I'm going to do the dietary guidelines section. And then if he says that's – and then I'm going to take that apart and show that that's systematically low quality. And then – if he says that that, no, it's just the instruction of dietary guidelines. The rest of the book chapter is good. We're going to just keep going until he admits that, uh, maybe I have a few points. Right. So maybe I have a few points. He doesn't have to accept everything I say, but he just has to acknowledge that I have a point of view that uh, does see hundreds of errors in his chapter. And this is a legitimate point of view, and I can explain it very clearly and transparently here. I've already offered to do so with him over the phone, over Zoom, etc. Now, because he won't accept that offer, but continues to uh, not have a discussion or debate with me on the, any of these other issues, and again, I don't want have a debate. I just want to have a discussion, a civil discussion. Because he doesn't want to do that, then I'm just going to go ahead and debunk his chapter, and then we'll see how he responds. Maybe he won't respond at all. I'm guessing he might not respond, because I just don't think he wants to know that his chapter is filled with these problems. And I, I don't think he knows, by the way, I think he really has a simplistic understanding of how science works. And he thinks that his book chapter is awesome, even if it's not. I just I think that's what he thinks. All right, Cool, 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 cool. So let's start. Chapter six, Nutrition for Health with Paul Mason and Daniel Freeman, And of course, this is in Bruckner and Kahn's <clears throat> Clinical Sports Medicine uh, uh, in volume two. It is the fifth edition of Clinical Sports Medicine, okay? So this is chapter six in the volume two of that particular book and it starts, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Now, we're not even into the main text, the body yet. We're just starting with a quote, but interestingly enough, and this is a very important point because it sets the whole stage for the whole rest of the chapter. Let f- not let food be thy medicine is a fabrication. It's not anything Hippocrates ever said. Okay. Now, when they cite Hippocrates saying, Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food, they don't provide a citation. They just assume that it's correct, right? They assert a fact as if it's correct, as if it's correct, even though it's not. And they don't provide a reference. They don't fact check their own fact. And this is the core of what is wrong with this chapter. Everything, everything in this chapter is simply here to tell a story that supports their particular narrative. And it's not about having a critical understanding of nutrition science. Okay. It's about making things that sound good, a part of a big story that they're telling in this chapter. So let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food is trying to lend legitimacy to this idea that perhaps food should replace medicine or uh, food is the main kind of medicine. Let's make uh, medicine actually about nutrition, right? The best way to have nutrition for health is, 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 is to really place a lot of emphasis on it. And in fact, it's as good as medicine and it should be used in place of medicine, okay? Well, uh, so it's, it's, it's highlighting the importance of food as medicine, going all the way back to the father, the grandfather, the godfather of medicine, Hippocrates, the Greek Hippocrates living on the island of Kos, and in fact he wasn't just one physician, this is an important point as well, he wasn't just one physician, he was many physicians, a group of physicians who all wrote under the name of Hippocrates even though it wasn't one particular person. In fact, we call it the Hippocratic Corpus. The classicists, in fact, do call it the Hippocratic Corpus. I was once uh, an aspiring classicist, in fact, and uh, I could read actually a good portion of the uh, Hippocratic Corpus in the original Greek at one point. Uh, But it's called the Hippocratic Corpus and it's not just one person, but that's an aside. The point though is that it is a fabrication. We know that with this one particular Text by Diana Cardenas. It's called Let Not Food Be Thy tha- Let Not Thy Food Be Confused With Thy Medicine. The Hippocratic misquotation in, in Clinical Nutrition Espen. Um, methods. Examples of publications gathered from Medline and Google Scholar databases, which cite the th- phrase verbatim and attribute it to Hippocrates, were select, then an extensive review of the works related to food and diet in the corpus Hippocratum, Hippocraticum, which is the Hippocratic corpus, because it's not just Hippocrates, is the body of work. Corpus means body. The An extensive review of the works related to food and diet in the corpus Hippocratum, Hippocraticum was made in order to search for the phrase. So they looked through all of the works in the Corpus Hippocraticum to see if they could find the phrase. And the results were, at least in the last 30 years, this phrase has been mistakenly helped scientists confirm the importance of food to health and highlight new ethical challenges in medicine and dietetics. We showed that at least one biomedical journal per year has cited the phrase. This literary creation has led to an essential misconception for Hippocrates. Even if food was closely linked to both health and disease, the concept of food was not confused with that of medication. So. This is nowhere to be found in the Hippocratic Corpus. This, these people search this, and I've searched this as well. In fact, I've searched for uh, this in the Hippocratic Corpus. I've also actually searched very, very, extensively for discussions of fasting in the Hippocratic Corpus, and I have critical discussion of that as well. Uh, should come out in a review over the next year or two, uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's simply not there in the Corpus yet. Confidently, it's cited at the very beginning. Again, this is the lack of of, of uh, scholarly rigor. I think it's found in the very first quotation in this chapter. It's assumed that Hippocrates said this. Hippocrates never said this. Nowhere. Okay, let us now talk about the first section. So we've already dismantled the very first set of words in the chapter, not even in the body of the text. The first quotation—it's and it's a fabrication. It's not real. And it's the first thing in the chapter. It's not going well already, okay? But we're going to keep going because Paul wants me to do this because he thinks that I'm not telling the truth. So, I'm going to do this now. So, a healthy diet is one that optimizes health by providing all essential nutrition while also maintaining an appropriate weight. Yeah, sure. That's That sounds good. Providing all essential nutrition while also maintaining an appropriate... um, it optimizes health by providing um, healthy nutrition not necessarily essential uh, just uh, providing all essential nutrition it shouldn't be enough because if you want to because you know you can provide all essential nutrition to uh, mice for example and uh, restrict the amount of calories that they get but it's not necessarily the most healthy diet if it's Strictly purified diet. In fact, in the absence of fiber, uh, mice uh, they die earlier. In the absence of fiber, they have a higher incidence of cancer. In the absence of fiber, and, and many um, purified diets that don't have fiber are not as healthy for mice as uh, diets that have fiber. So it's not just a diet that provides all essential nutrition. Will also maintaining it appropriate, it provides all optimal nutrition. So the first sentence is already false because essential is just the bare minimum. We need more than the bare minimum to have a healthy diet. So I already think that the first uh, sentence is, is inadequate. It's not a correct characterization of what a healthy diet is. So that we'll say that's that's error number two. So first sentence that we have, let food be by that medicine, medicine be by food is, is a fabrication. Second sentence I think is an inappropriate and inadequate uh, uh, definition of a healthy diet. So we've got two sentences and they're already both, in my opinion, they're erroneous, they're both wrong. First, because it's a fabrication. Second, because it's, it's just an incorrect definition. Okay, so let's do the third sentence. The The composition of such a diet, however, is subject to vigorous debate among both experts and lay people, that's a very vague um, sentence. I can't say it's necessarily wrong. Okay, fine. It's a since it's a vague sentence, I can't say it's wrong. Okay, well, we'll just say it's a vague sentence. Therefore, uh, yeah, I I can't really evaluate it. So, even in the 21st century, this is we're going to go on to the fourth sentence. Even in the 21st century. Um, folklore and conventional wisdom continue to shape mainstream nutrition beliefs in the absence of convincing evidence. Folklore and conventional wisdom continue to shape mainstream nutrition beliefs. What's a mainstream nutrition belief? Is it, is it among lay people? Like non-scientists? Yeah, of course. Folklore and conventional wisdom, uh, shape mainstream beliefs of, on everything. Because, you know, folk, there's folklore and wisdom. of course, it's going to shape mainstream beliefs. That's what kind of the basis of mainstream beliefs are. Then you have science that comes in to kind of correct some of that or provide some correction. And then you have the res- residuum of folklore and conventional beliefs that continue to linger despite the corrections by modern science. And that's just how uh, beliefs work. So is he talking about mainstream nu- nutrition beliefs among scientists? Because otherwise, this is just, yeah, of course, this is just how how it works. Okay, I'm not really sure what he's saying here. So again, it's kind of an, an unclear sentence. If he's talking about among scientists or lay people, if he's talking about lay people, then yeah, it's a it's a commonplace, it's a triviality, of course. It's okay, but whatever. This is in part due to the growing of the fifth sense. This is in part due to the difficulties and expense of performing suitable interventional research. This is in part due to the yeah, with nutrition historically based on less robust epidemiological research. Uh, yeah. Difficulties and expense. Yeah, you can't, difficulties and expense. So you can't like lock people up in cages for their entire lives and see what happens if you feed them one diet versus another diet. You can't do that because, uh, you know, humans are not mice. And, um, and then you can't, and then if you tell them what to eat, uh, and then, you know, eat, eat only pancakes and then you eat only uh, waffles, right? One group eats pancakes, one group's only only waffles. Well, you can't enforce that necessarily in a free living people. So then you're stuck with the situation where you can't enforce uh, these dietary interventions in free living people over a really long period of time. Uh, And if you want to enforce these things, then you can't do that for ethical reasons. So that's the basic struggle. There are some interventions that can last for several years, but then again, it gets very expensive, and so we run into that problem. And if unless it's designed perfectly, absolutely perfectly, you can run into issues of interpretation, which is what we have for a lot of long-term randomized controlled trials and nutrition. So therefore, we base our views on epidemiological research, and it is less robust. It doesn't help us with causal inference as well as... Uh, randomized controlled trials do. So actually I would agree with that. So the one sentence that so far, I think this is the sixth sentence, the sixth sentence I agree with. The other sentences are either wrong or they're vague and unclear, but the sixth sentence, yeah, it's basically right. Now, here's where we get into some trouble. Findings from these observational studies, sorry, findings from these observational studies are often demonstrated to be erroneous when tested in randomized controlled trials. Now, what does often mean? What does often mean? Does it mean um, more often than not? Does it mean sometimes? Does it mean usually? What does often mean? It really depends on what often means. But I think what he's saying here with this sentence is that findings from random, okay, let's reread it. Findings from observational studies are often demonstrated to be erroneous when tested in randomized controlled trials. And let me check one moment that the camera's still working. Well, the camera's still working and we're only 25 minutes in, that's great. It's going to take an hour of findings, whatever. Findings from observational studies are often demonstrated to be erroneous when testing randomized controlled trials. I think the implication here is that we can't trust observational studies, but let me ask you a question. If everybody has to eat, let's say you have to choose between pancakes, and let's go back to pancakes and waffles, you have to choose between pancakes and waffles, and you don't have any idea what you're going to do, no idea whatsoever. But you have randomized control, you have, I'm sorry, you have observational studies that you know are correct 60% of the time. So you have a 60% chance if you choose at random, you have a 60% chance, sorry, if you, if you follow the epidemiology, you have a 60% chance of the epidemiology being proven later on by randomized controlled trials. What do you do? it's better than 50-50 chance. Right? Right? So, you, in that case, you choose the epidemiology unless you have a really good reason not to. Right? If you have good beliefs or uh, a strong personal reason not to or a strong scientific reason not to, you can override the epidemiology. But if you base policy on epidemiology, that's 60% right then more often than not, you're going to get the right answers. Does that make sense? Does this make sense, guys? Why is that not acceptable for drug trials? Because drug trials are not, it's like, because in drug trials, the risk is much higher and you don't have to take the drug. with food, you have to eat. You have no choice. You have to eat something. And if you can have something that slightly greater than chance provides some signal that you wouldn't have otherwise for, for, from any other basis of evidence, you want to use that evidence that provides that signal. So, all you need is to beat chance for, for, for observational studies to be useful. All you need is some signal. All you need is for nutritional epidemiology not to be completely noisy and then it's useful. That's it. That's all you need. And we can call this the bass argument for nutritional epidemiology because I haven't found anybody else who makes it. And I don't know why because it's so obvious to me. It's like you don't need nutritional epidemiology to be better. I'm gonna stop touching the microphone. I realize I was touching the microphone. You don't need nutritional epidemiology to be better or as good as randomized control trials for drugs. Nutrition is different from drugs because you don't have to take a drug, but you have to eat because you have to eat. All you need for nutritional epidemiology is something better than chance, some signal. It'll help policy. So does that mean we can always trust epidemiology? No, not always. But it's better than not having it. If it's better than chance, if you get a, if you get something better than chance, that's that's the core argument here. And I've never seen any of the haters of nutritional epidemiology ever address that argument. I don't think they've thought about this clearly. Okay, so so even if it's often wrong. All you need is for nutrition, nutritional epidemiology to provide some signal to be helpful, to be able to help inform nutrition policy. Okay. So I already think that this is leading in a bad direction. What he's implying here that we can ignore nutritional epidemiology, which is basically what he's going to end up saying, or what he wants to suggest is that we shouldn't trust nutritional epidemiology. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a good argument that he's making. All right. That's not a good reason to ignore nutritional epidemiology. Okay. Well, let's say he's not making that argument. Let's just look at what references he uses. So I actually have these pulled up. So there's, I found this on the website of the, uh, of, of, uh, I think McGraw or something like that, the publisher. And the three references he uses is one from Yanides, uh, another from Casaza et al., and another from Young and Carr. Let us now look at these papers that he cites. So the first one is by Janidis, John Janidis, the famous John Janidis at Stanford. Uh, Very well established, well respected or was well respected before COVID, but I still respect him. I think many people still respect him as a researcher. is an editorial called Implausible Results in Human Nutrition Research. So no, let's be very clear. What is an editorial? An editorial is a, uh, it's not peer reviewed. Okay. It's not a peer reviewed paper. It's just an opinion that Yanidis wrote for the BMJ. Maybe they invited him, maybe he had this idea to write the editorial. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but he wrote this editorial and it's, and it's like five paragraphs long. Okay. It's like five paragraphs long, and uh, it's 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 it looks pretty hastily written to me. It's very polemical, and uh, it's not even peer-reviewed, right? And it's just his opinions about nutritional epidemiology, how we can't trust nutritional epidemiology, but it doesn't – it's just like – it just says – and I, I'm not going to read this whole paper for you because we're supposed to be debunking Paul's chapter, but it says that sometimes nutritional epidemiology is wrong, right? Nutritional epidemiology can be wrong. And in this case, he wants to strongly imply that we shouldn't trust nutritional epidemiology in much the same way that Paul does. But this paper is an editorial. It's not peer reviewed. So this is the quality of research that that Paul's using. Now, if he had a really rigorous um publication that he cited but this is just Paul this is just John Euides's opinion. It's fine. It's fine to have an opinion but it's not a peer-reviewed serious scientific paper. So that's funny. So Paul is now citing people's opinion papers. okay that's that's okay um, but it's not a it's not a, it's not a good citation it's a bad citation. All right well okay fine okay fine he cites an opinion paper. Let's look at this next paper that Paul cites. And it's by Casaza Fontaine Astro and Astro. It's called Myths Pre with Pre- Myths Presumptions and Facts about Obesity. Let's look at it. It's from the New England Journal of Medicine. It should be good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's by like the leaders in the field. That's great. It's like David Allison is the is the is the final author. Barbara rolls on it. There's like a lot of really top people on here. This is great. Okay, cool. Like we can we can see this. But here's the thing is like myths, presumptions, and facts about obesity. Wait, I thought this is about nutrition science and epidemiology that he's citing this about. But this is about myths about obesity. So this is confusing because isn't he talking about how randomized controlled trials and uh epidemiology don't often don't match but this is this this paper actually doesn't support that this is about look here's the methods using internet searches of popular media and scientific literature we identified reviewed and classified obesity related myths and presumptions we also examined facts that are well supported with the evidence with an emphasis on those that have been practical implications for public health policy and clinical recommendations this is about obesity this is not even about nutrition right and it's about like popular beliefs um, and it's talking about some things in the scientific literature. Let's look at some of these myths that, 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 are, that are discussed. I believe it's seven. They go seven myths. Sustain, small sustained changes in energy intake or expenditure will produce large long-term weight ch- changes. Um, well... That's not based on nutritional epidemiology. Uh, setting realistic goals in obesity treatment is important because otherwise patients will become frustrated or lose less weight. Again, not based on nutritional epidemiology. Large rapid weight loss is associated with poor long-term weight outcomes than is slow gradual weight loss. This actually is based on epidemiology, but this is not based on nutritional epidemiology. And some of the best controlled epidemiology on this actually shows the opposite, uh, so it depends on what epidemiology we're talking about you have to actually very carefully look at the literature here so again it's not nutritional epidemiology it's obesity epidemiology and even the obesity epidemiology is complex and the best epidemiology suggests that this isn't true okay fine okay fine uh assessing the stage of change or diet readiness is important in helping patients who seek weight loss treatment again this is not based on nutrition and epidemi- epidemiology Physical education classes in the current format play an important role in preventing or producing childhood obesity. Um, It's not based on nutritional epidemiology. Okay. Uh, Breastfeeding is protective against obesity. It's not based on nutritional epidemiology and about of sexual activity burns 300 to 300 calories for each person involved, not based on nutritional epidemiology. So, why is he citing this paper? It's not about nutritional epidemiology at all. It's about things about obesity that's, and most of them is not based on epidemiology. And even the things that are based on epidemiology are complex and have a complex discussion about them. Why is he citing this paper at all? That's interesting. So, one paper is an editorial. One paper is a, uh, you know, it's not about nutritional epidemiology. So his, his citations are wrong. What about the third? What about the third reference? Young Carr and Deming. Okay. Let's go over here. Dem, uh, sorry. Young Carr. Sorry. It's not Young Carr and Deming. It's Young Carr. And then the papers about Deming Data and uh, Observational Studies. It's published in the Journal Significance, whatever that is. Deming Data and Observational Studies. Um who's Stanley Young and, and, and Alan Carr anyway, Ugh. it's so, so they have, they have a, a, a 12, 12 claims about vitamin E. Actually, it's almost all about vitamin E. It's like literally four, four of the, four of the studies are about vitamin E let's just sorry let's just read this we found 12 papers in which claims coming from observational studies were tested in randomized controlled trials many of the trials are quite large um in most of the observational studies multiple claims were tested off factorial designs of vitamin d and calcium individually together along with placebo group note that none of the claims replicated in the direction claiming the observational studies the statistical significance is the opposite direction five times so they they picked out of the scientific literature 12 randomized control trials. They found 12 randomized control trials. Most of them, fi- at least five addressed vitamin E, right? Um, several addressed vitamin C, two addressed vitamin C, a few other vitamins, hormone replacement therapies addressed too. So there's like four different topics. That's it, four different questions. And they found randomized control trials showing that on these four different questions or so, a few, maybe more than four, but there are four different questions, five different questions. The nutritional epidemiology was different from the randomized controlled trials. Well, here's the problem here. These are just randomly picked studies, or maybe even these are cherry-picked to show the point. So, yeah, none of the studies were confirmed. The observational studies were confirmed by randomized controlled trials, but that doesn't necessarily mean that doesn't necessarily mean that uh that's how observational studies are with respect to randomized controlled trials. It could be that these this particular set of topics, like four or five different topics, is pretty, particularly bad with respect to being confirmed by randomized controlled trials. But other topics in, in, in nutrition and nutritional epidemiology don't have the same problem. How do we know that? We don't because this isn't a systematic paper. These these uh, trials very well could have been cherry-picked. And if you look at the methods, they don't talk about the methods by which they chose these trials. They just... Critics criticize these trials, and for whatever reason, like they didn't decide to do a systematic review. Isn't that a shame? But here's the interesting thing: it gets more interesting because this systematic review was actually conducted. This systematic review was actually conducted. So this is published in 2011 and in 2013 they actually did carry out a systematic review. Wow, isn't that something? They, they carried it out at the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. It's called the concordance between the findings of epidemiological studies and randomized controlled trials in nutrition. Wow, that's exactly the question. An empirical evaluation and citation analysis. Well, what is it? What are the results? What are the results? Finding in the third, 23 out of 34 of the associations, the summary finding for meta-analyses of epidemiological studies and randomized controlled trials were in the same direction. Two-thirds are in the same direction. Now it gets more complicated than that, but we that beats the hell out of that beats the hell out of 50%. Only eleven out of thirty-four were pointing in the opposite direction. Okay? And there have been more more studies conducted since since then by Lucas Schwingshackle and others. There's several different studies actually that have been published recently showing that the concordance between nutritional epidemiology and randomized control trials is, is a pretty decent. It's pretty decent. Okay? And if it beats 50%, then it's still providing more signal than noise. Okay? Okay? But interestingly, he never cites this paper. It was available here. This is published in 2019. Why didn't he cite this paper? He cites an editorial. He cites a, a, uh, a paper on about obesity. He had nothing to do with nutritional and epidemiology. And then he cites another paper where they cherry pick epidemiological studies. So already he's misusing certain citations. In this case, of the second citation, in the case of the first citation, he's using a reference that's not very rigorous it's, a, it's an editorial. It certainly shouldn't be used by itself to, to buttress his claim. And then the third reference is a cherry picked reference. It's not a systematic review. And then he leaves out a systematic review. I would say this amounts to four separate errors. Now, we could be generous and say it's two, but I I would say this is four separate errors. He doesn't look at all the evidence that's available, including the most uh, systematic treatment of the subject available. He cites an editorial, which you shouldn't be citing that for a strong claim. He, cites a, he miscites another paper that doesn't have anything to do with nutritional epidemiology, and then he cites a cherry-picked review. Right? It's not a good citation. We could call that maybe not an error, but maybe not the best citation. So, four problems and just three citations in one sentence. And then the sentence itself is misleading because what does it mean that observational studies are often demonstrated to be erroneous when tested against in randomized controlled trials? I've even discussed about the difference between randomized controlled trials and observational studies that maybe some of our listeners aren't even able to follow, and it may be already too late. But let's give that to a couple of people. So, an observational study is you just look at a population, and see how it does over time based on certain characteristics it has. Say, some people eat bread, some people don't eat bread. How do they do in terms of their health outcomes? Do some people get more heart attacks if they don't eat bread, or do they get fewer, or do they get fewer heart attacks if they don't eat bread? and vice versa. That's an observational study. A randomized control trial actually gives people bread, or no bread, and then sees how they do. Well, the problem with observational studies is that uh, people who eat bread might have different characteristics than people who don't eat bread that may have nothing to do with the bread eating that may cause the heart disease outcomes. So, you have these confounders. So, there's a less strong study design. In a nutshell, that is the difference between nutritional epidemiology and observational studies. And that's the issue he's talking about here. But if overall these observational studies are well controlled, they do have good statistical methods, et cetera, and they tend to provide a better signal than not, then they can still be useful. So he doesn't talk about that side of things. He only talks about the negative side. It's often, quote, unquote, often demonstrated to be erroneous when tested in randomized controlled trials. Well, that's not helpful. And he's saying that it's based on less robust epidemiological research. Yeah, it's less robust. But what's the other side? What's the other alternative to using this less robust? Let's just hang this question here because it's going to get more interesting over time because he's going to reject a lot of nutritional epidemiology selectively. Actually, I can't go through all of that because this is going to take again. Hun- it's going to take hundreds of hours to do this. But let me just point out that what he does in his book chapter is he uses some epidemiological studies to make his case that agree with him, and then he leaves out all the ones that don't. And he does that because he thinks he's allowed to do that because nutritional epidemiology is sometimes wrong. But how does that make any sense if nutritional epidemiology is sometimes wrong? Therefore, use some nutritional epidemiology that agree with you, but not others. How is that consistent? Why don't you use all of it or none of it? Why don't you systematically evaluate, evaluate the nutritional epidemiology? Those are some other errors, but I'm not able to get to them or some other inconsistencies I'm not able to get to them but they point to this overall overarching tendency in this work to take references that agree with this point of view use them and don't use the references that don't agree with this point of view it doesn't matter how high quality the references that do agree with this point of view are so long as they agree and then uh, what matters to him is just that they agree. And if something disagrees with this particular opinion, it, all that matters to him is that it disagrees. And so he doesn't use it, even if it's the higher quality reference. Even if it's the higher quality reference. So the, higher, the highest quality reference he could have possibly used here, he didn't use. And that's the tendency in this paper, in this chat book chapter. That's what I'm pointing to. Not only are there errors and there's like, "Hmm, why did he do this? Why did he do that? If you think about it in the broad strokes of what he's trying to achieve here, which is just to to promote his point of view, you see very clearly why he's made these mistakes. And they're not mistakes. Okay, They follow a certain logic. Now, do I think he's consciously carrying out this logic? I don't know. But the book chapter follows this logic and explains his errors. That's why he's making these errors. Okay, fine. Let's go on to the next sentence. And in recent years, there has been a growing interest in nutrition research thanks to increased funding and improved research methodologies. I don't know if there's increased funding, brother. But okay. Okay. Improved research methodology. Okay. Improve, okay, wait, anyway. Combined with achievements in advancements in molecular biology and biochemistry, this has resulted in an improved understanding of healthy day diets and underlying physiological mechanisms. These new understandings, however, often contrast with existing orthodoxy and are not universally accepted. Um, this is nonsense. This is just nonsense. Like, what is he even talking about? He has no citation here. He's just like saying that new advances are being made that challenge the orthodoxy. Um, and this is based in biochemistry and molecular biology. And the orthodoxy is not accepting these, which is based on epidemiology, basically He's saying that. It's like, this is nonsense. Where is he even getting this from? Optimal dietary macronutrient composition is perhaps most contingent. Yeah, because, okay. So he's saying that these advances are with respect to optimal dietary macronutrient composition in biochemistry and molecular biology and there's no such advances there's no such advances (laughs) sugar has received much attention many arguing it has increased potential for causing metabolic harms compared to other carbohydrates um yeah free sugars maybe like in serving beverages yeah sure okay the importance of sodium restriction Benefits of dietary fiber and required water intake are other long-standing beliefs that have been increasingly questioned. No, actually, I think the sodium restriction is is is, or at least, um, you know, replacement of sodium with potassium is very well established at this point now, in very very risk randomized controlled trials. I think this is actually false. Uh, so, again, another error with respect to sodium restriction. I think it's categorically false. I don't think there's any question about sodium restriction. Um, for heart failure and other applications, sure, yeah, you have some other discussions. But as an overall um, public health measure, sodium restriction, especially the replacement of sodium with potassium, is a very well-established public health measure for reducing blood pressure and stroke and cardiovascular disease risk. No question. And It's more and more strong. With each and every year and each and every randomized controlled trial, including the recent one in China that I discussed in a recent podcast on the topic in an earlier one. Okay, uh, dietary fiber. I don't think anybody's questioning dietary fiber fiber, brother. I don't think anybody's questioning that. And he's saying the gut microbiome is an exciting new area of nutrition science. Now he's jumping into the gut microbiome. Okay, whatever. Yeah, it is exciting. However, many claims regarding prebiotics and probiotics are being made in advance of definite evidence. I actually firmly agree with this. this is the one, one, the one sentence that's very clear, and it's correct. Yeah. Yes, prebiotics, probiotics, is nonsense. A lot of that stuff is nonsense, and it's way in advance. And microbiome research is a total disaster mess. These are actually the latest molecular biology and and biochemical advances being made in microbiome research. A lot of it's nonsense. It's not challenging the orthodoxy. None of that's challenging the orthodoxy, okay? So if that's related to that previous paragraph, that's nonsense. Again, we could count that up as an error, right? And certainly, these these controversies about sodium restriction, dietary fiber, and water intake uh, is not being ba- done on the basis of molecular biology and biochemistry advances. So, if that's the implication, that's another error. It's not true. It's simply false. Or maybe these two paragraphs are not connected. I don't know. Then why did he have that paragraph before this paragraph? What is this paragraph connect? Like, what is the argument he's making here? Or is he just stringing together random sentences? So is that an error or is it just like his prose is incoherent? I'm not really sure. But like if he's saying that these controversies are being controversies are being had because of advances in molecular biology and biochemistry, that's false. It's just completely false and many of these are not controversies also false so those like, we're like at 8 or 9 or 10 we're like we're i think we're at, at we're exceeding 10 errors here already in the first three paragraphs right some things just don't make sense some things are false and that's excluding the vague statements right that you can't know whether are erroneous or not because they're so vague right but we got we got this good one regarding the prebiotics and probiotics Stuff. Yeah, that's correct. There, it's may being made in definite advance of, uh, uh, uh main advance of definite evidence. Absolutely. I agree with Paul here hundred percent. Okay. He goes a significant amount of conventional thinking about nutrition is not well supported by evidence. What does that mean? Not well supported by evidence. That's like a blanket statement that is kind of like silly. It's like, okay, what is it? What does evidence and what does well supported mean? Yeah, if you're talking about randomized controlled trials, yeah, nothing in nutrition is supported really well supported by randomized controlled trials, man. Almost we have no almost no long-term evidence in randomized controlled trials for nutrition. We have almost nothing. Um yeah, but we have a lot of epidemiology, we have a lot of animal studies, we have a lot of short-term biomarker studies, we have a lot of Mendelian randomization, we have some random long-term randomized controlled trials. And we use those studies to inform our understanding of nutrition. And that's what we have to do because that's the best signal we got. If you say it's not well supported, but you need to really clarify what you mean here. Does he clarify what he means? If he doesn't, then he's just making a bald blanket statement that's not supported by an evidence. I would call that another error. It's like he's asserting things that are not supported. He's making strong claims, polemical claims that are misleading that are not correctly qualified and discussed that are going to cause people to come to wrong conclusions without evidence. So he says, in this chapter, we will examine the evidence base for current nutrition recommendations by exploring the current understanding of macronutrients, micronutrients, fluids, and different dietary patterns. So he doesn't actually support that claim that a significant amount of conventional thinking about nutrition is not well supported by evidence. He just makes it. It's just his opinion. This is just his opinion. Um, And he should just say, in our opinion, right, he states it as if it's a fact, it's not a fact. It's not a fact. This is his opinion. And stating, again, stating something that is an opinion as if it's a fact is misleading. It's false. That's a false, like, he's misleading people into believing that his opinion is a fact. It's kind of a, a kind of lying. I would say as far as science is concerned and science is concerned with truth, it's an error. Again, it's an error. It's an error because he doesn't explain what he means. It's an error because he's not saying something that is an opinion as a a fact. It's an error because it's misleading people into believing something that may not be true. It's not supported by anything. He's not showing these, these strong claims. He's not supporting them. They're not well supported. This wouldn't do well with a, with a really rigorous and hard PhD committee. He would get killed by this. We can go on to the rest, man. We can go on to the rest, but the whole chapter is like this. It's not just the first paragraph, ch- uh, the first uh, section. The whole chapter is this way, and I didn't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But if he if he thinks that this is still wrong, this is not enough. That they, I've still not done my job. This is just then this is going to be part one. We'll go do part two. I'm going to send this to him, and uh, if he doesn't think it's legitimate enough to to warrant, um, you know his his taking seriously and, and talk to me about his LDL, uh, chat, uh article, then we'll do another, we'll do another, um, the next section or we can debate it. We can debate it in live. We can debate this whole thing live. Me and him can debate it live or discuss it. I don't want to debate it. I want to discuss it with him. Like, why did he write these things? This, it, it just seems totally wrong to me. It's right to write this way. It's like, it just seems wrong. Now again, I don't want to prove, point this out because I don't I don't do these kinds of videos anymore. Usually, I just don't care about this stuff. But like, I want to discuss his LDL paper. He's saying I can't discuss it until I talk about these this nutrition science um, chapter. This nutrition science chapter is not nutrition science. It's it's just it's just a, a chapter of errors and and misleading statements. and and very partial um, partisan takes on things that are not scientific. Hundreds of statements like this in this chapter. And at the very least, we could say this is just a difference in opinion and that's fine, we can do that and that's okay. But he should be very clear that this is his opinion, this isn't fact, but he's purporting this chapter's written polemically as if it's a fact when it's just his opinion which is just wrong it's just freaking wrong it's it's just wrong to write that way that's like a kind of lying in my opinion so hope you guys liked the video uh we'll do part two if, if this isn't acceptable to him we'll do a part two peace out brothers 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 i hope you enjoyed the podcast please check me out on patreon.com at Kevin and Bass, where you can donate and make this podcast possible. Also, check me out on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, where you can find my latest thoughts on the latest controversies and findings within health science. Also, check me out at The Kevin Bass Show, both on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. I hope this podcast was useful to you. If it was, please leave me a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. See you guys in the next episode.